Sports Radio 104.3 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. Good morning. This is Terry Wickstrom, and we have got a loaded show for you today. Um, we're going to cover a lot of ground. You know, this time of the year, with the weather changing, with all the things that are going on, you know, it's tough sometimes. Do I pick up my conventional fishing rod? Do I take the boat out? Do I fish from shore? Because that's going to be getting better. Do I um, do I pick up my fly rod? That's There's some prime fly fishing going on right now. You pick up a shotgun. We got waterfall coming up. We got pheasant season coming up. We're going to talk about both of those today. Uh, or you pick up a rifle. You got antelope season or pronghorn season is, I believe, starts today, and then next week is the first rifle season of the year. So there is just a a ton, a ton of things to do, and we're going to cover almost all of them today. At one point or another, we're going to. Uh, we're going to cover some pheasant hunting. We're going to talk about some shooting. We're going to talk about some fishing. Uh, and then I'm going to talk specifically a little later on about um, about the, uh, the, the false fishing that's going to take off with this weather change that's coming in. It's really sunny, beautiful out today. <clears throat> but this is going to trigger a fall bite, this snow that comes in Monday and the warming afterwards that could be just phenomenal. We'll cover all that and so much more later on. Let's go right to the phones now. And uh, speaking of somebody who, he's not on to talk about it, but he could probably identify with this first cold front and that fall fishing bite. We've got Bob Hicks from uh, Pheasants Forever on. Of course, he was a very avid and accomplished angler too. So, Bob, you know, I I know we're going to talk pheasant hunting, but this cold front's probably going to trigger that fall spoon bite. That, that's right. Well, well, I think you said I was a. So I, you've given up on me as a fisherman. It sounds like. No, I meant we're not having you on as for your fishing prowess. Oh. <laughs> I'm just teasing. The only, morning, you know, the Terry. only one that it was is me. You know, uh, my wife even when she she says dear husband, but she spells it H A S B E E N. So <laughs> I got to teach her. That's, that's how I feel about my fishing days. Yeah. No, oh, it's, uh, that's a. It sure, it definitely feels like fall uh, with the with the big cool down, and it should turn these fish fish on. That's for sure. Well, you know, it's going to do a lot for a lot of things. We're going to talk about the fishing during the more into the hour, but specifically, we got you on. You're with Pheasants Forever. You just got back from Washington D.C., and there's some things going on. And during this segment, people need to pay attention. We're going to cover some things that are issues. We're going to cover some things that are concerning as far as what's going on with pheasants right now. But we're going to finish with some good news. So I don't want to be doom and gloom, but there certainly are things that people need to pay attention to. And I know the first thing you want to talk about with us, Bob, is that, you know, the CRP and the conservation program has been so important to the habitat for the birds. And uh, just because of some inaction in Congress and some changes in laws, we've seen some of that going away, and it's having an impact. So what's happening there? Well, um, Terry, you know, um, in the last two farm bills, we've gone from 38 million acres of CRP nationwide uh, to 32 to now 24. And the next farm bill will expire, you know, this coming spring. And, you know, they'll start working on it here in the next few months. And 
you know, it's really dire. You know, we can't afford to lose any more acres and uh, we can't afford to, for CRP to go away because, you know, we've lost uh, over 500,000 acres of CRP just in Colorado in the last uh, two or three years because when landowners sign up in this program, it's a, it's a voluntary program. They don't have to sign up and they get a small payment. They're not, you know, getting wealthy off this payment. That's, you know, enough to cover their taxes and maybe a little more and then pays them not to farm this ground that's marginal ground or real sandy soils. And, um, but if they, you know, and the contracts are t usually 10 years and when those contracts are up right now, there's no acres available. So they have to do something with them. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a critical time for Eastern Colorado right now. And, uh, of course the other States, you know, South Dakota, North Dakota, Kansas, Nebraska, they're all in the same shape we are. Now, Bob, you, you talked about, you know, what you're talking about is this land that's marginal farming is set aside and they let habitat grow on it for wildlife. Pheasants in particular are noted for taking advantage of that. But even if you're not an upland game hunter, we can't afford to lose wildlife habitat. This affects not only it affects white-tailed deer hunters and turkey hunters and it affects quail hunters. It also affects bird watchers and people who love the butterflies that just came through our, our state this last year and, and just People who just go around, observe. it has a wide-ranging effect, doesn't it? Absolutely. I, I just One of the stories that I was talking to uh, our senators and congressmen about last week when I was in D.C. Is, uh, and, and their staff is asking folks if they know the name of our state bird. Most people don't. It's, a, it's called a lark bunty, and it's a beautiful little black and white-winged bird. And Terry, I've lived in Colorado my whole life. And until we started planting this pollinator habitat mix into our Corners for Conservation program and through some, some pollinator initiatives in the farm bill, I never saw a lark bunting in my life. And, you know, you can go out there in July and August now after these uh, pollinators are in bloom and I guarantee you, you won't just see one, you'll see dozens in every one of these fields. So it greatly affects many more species than a pheasant. Now, before we, I, I want to cover a bunch of things today. So let's quickly, what was your experience in Washington? Are they aware? Are they concerned? Is it such a low priority? And no matter what, what can we do as outdoorsmen and outdoor women? Uh, they are aware, and, you know, this is the first trip of my lifetime going back for my organization and going with some volunteers that are landowners and producers and, and getting the chance to talk to them. And what impressed me is, is they, you know, you know they, they do listen if you reach out and talk to them. And, you know, what, you know, I would encourage people to do that care about this when uh, the farm bill comes up. You'll hear discussion about it. You know, if it's something that matters to you and you care about eastern Colorado and you care about native prairies and you care about wildlife, you know, I encourage, you know, everybody to pick up the phone, send an email, write a letter to your congressman and to your senators and tell them this is important and we need to um, reauthorize CRP and we need to allocate more acres for CRP. Well, and I think, and there's some other things I want to talk to you about before we run out of time, but I think it's important for people to realize that 
It takes the more calls they get, the more letters they get, the more emails they get, the more responsive they're going to be. And I'm looking at this both in the state and on the national level. There's been some heated issues over the last couple of years. And the sportsmen are too splintered right now, Bob. They're just, everybody's got their own agenda. But as outdoor enthusiasts, we need to strengthen our voice. And we need to make politicians understand that there will be an accountability if you don't take us into consideration. Because right now, I don't think there's a big fear of that. I don't think they're anti-outdoors people necessarily. I just don't think they fear political consequences from the outdoor community. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I agree with what you said about the sportsmen and sportswomen coming together because, um, you know, you hit the nail on the head earlier about, you know, bird watching. And if you, you know, watch Colorado Parks and Wildlife, some of their commercials on hug a hunter and hunter, hug a fisherman, I mean, we're all in this together. And, um, you know, and I, I'm certainly a passionate pheasant hunter, um, but this isn't about pheasant hunting. This is about, you know, um, water quality and air quality and you know habitat for wildlife and you know we're not trying to you know my father's from you know a corn farm in northwest iowa you know this is not about us telling people you know we don't want to see them farm we want to see them farm we want to see them be successful and you know our motto is you know farm the best and conserve the rest Now, before we run out of time, let's move on. People, hopefully you'll take action. Pay attention to this. I'm sure there's information on the Pheasants Forever webpage. We'll get that from you in a little bit, Bob. But I want to talk about, you know, we're only a couple, well, I guess we're about a month away, but we're we're about a month away from the Upland game season really kicking off here in Colorado and around the country at different times. Uh, You and I had a talk. Um, Some of the parts of the country that are traditionally strong pheasant uh, strongholds aren't necessarily doing as well, and Colorado may have a better picture. Kind of take us through the Reader's Digest version of some of the other states, and we'll get to Colorado. Well, you know, we all know what it was like to be outside here in the Front Range in August, you know, the smoke. Um, so, you know, we we had, you know, a lot of fires going on in the western United States, and, it, you know, there was a major drought going on north of us and uh, started in, you know, Oregon and Washington and moved its way east across Montana and the Dakotas. So, uh, you know, early reports are, you know, the, the, the hatch, you know, the, the, um, broods did not do well. The baby pheasants did not do well in Montana, North Dakota and South Dakota. Um, and, and we, of course, um, other than one little corner of Northeast Colorado, had really good moisture so um the good news is you know sometimes that happens and we don't get the brood production because it's dry but you know if people are willing to drive there's other places to go besides those states that got affected so early reports are nebraska kansas eastern colorado are going to be excellent iowa's got a really great report coming in on on their bird numbers quail we're going to have a really good quail year in eastern Colorado, especially southeast Colorado. Really good reports out of uh, Oklahoma and Texas. Um, so it's going to be a good bird hunting year. Um, but I typically start my pheasant season today in Montana. Today was the opener for pheasants in Montana, and I didn't go this year. I'm going to save my money and my gas and maybe chase quail in Oklahoma this year in, in December instead of going there now because the reports were pretty pretty tough on the hatch. 
Now, when people for people who are new to upland game hunting, I'd say 80, 90 percent of the birds you harvest were were hatched that year. People don't understand. You need good holdovers to produce. You need enough, uh, you know, mature holdovers to produce the hatch. But those birds get pretty wily, and they're a little tougher to get. And it's usually the first-year birds make up the majority of the hatch. And as if you talk to Ed Gorman and your biologist, Ed's from the Parks and Wildlife, they'll tell yeah. you that it's so you need you need good habitat, which we talked about in the beginning. You have to have the habitat. You need some holdover birds. But then Mother Nature just has to line up. And if you went back about five years ago, Colorado had a couple banner years, and we had a couple down years. The last year or two, we've seen a real rebound. So Ed was, when I talked to him early in this year, said he was really optimistic that there was good holdover and still good habitat. It would depend on how the weather lined up during the hatch and then as those those birds were developing and, of course, hailstorms. And from what you're telling me, it sounds like we've got every reason to be optimistic in Colorado. It's going to be a good year in eastern Colorado, Terry. Um, uh, it, was, it was a little dry in a few places, but... You know, we had a pretty dry winter, and then we got some, you know, really much-needed moisture. Then it dried up again, but then it came back again. And, you know, but you hit the nail on the head. Um, And I certainly learned this from being a partner with Parks and Wildlife and working with people like Ed Garman 10 years ago. Um, If we don't get, um, you know, good production in our nesting and brood rearing season, we don't have... uh, a lot of birds to go hunt. And so, um, the, the big message to folks is, uh, <laughs> how important it is to pay attention to, uh, to people like Ed when they're talking about the forecasts and, um, you know, early reports are they had really good crow counts when they do their spring counts on the survival of the male pheasants, you know, in the breeding season. And, um, uh, I think we had a really good hatch this year and, and a big wives tale that I learned from Ed 10 years ago is, you know, pheasants, once they pull off a successful brood, even if it's one or two chicks, they don't lay any more eggs. Um, that was a misnomer that as a young man, I was told, you know, pheasants had two or three clutches of babies. They, they actually don't. What, what they do is if they lose their nest due to predation or weather, they'll go re-nest. That's why you'll see chicks of different size uh, and shapes in, you know, late August. But once they pull off a successful nest, that's it. So, um, they had really good first success nesting rates, um, according to the folks on the ground that I'm talking to. Bob, we're over time, actually. So real quick, people want more information, the Pheasants Forever website? Uh, we have a Colorado website and a national website, so they can just Google Colorado Pheasants Forever or Pheasants Forever. And, Terry, thanks for what you do for speaking for Sportsman. I apologize for being late today. I love your show. I love you and Karen. Keep doing a great job for this state. Thank you so much, Bob. We'll uh, we'll have you on again very soon, I'm sure. Thank you, sir. You bet. Um, but we're going to change. We're going to take a break. When we come back. We're going to change things up. Uh, Parks and Wildlife has a new app out for your fishermen on your phones. You're going to love to hear about that. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Honey Smoked Fish Company's Honey Smoked Salmon. The secret is in the fire. America's all-time number one band, the Eagles. Oh, I love their music. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sun Power Sports, Colorado's largest motorcycle and ATV dealer. 
And we are going to go right to the phones because I want to give time to this. And by the way, we're running a little late, but we're going to make it up. We've got so many things coming up. We're going to talk some fishing now. Then we're going to get back to big game hunting. We've got just a lot going on today. And joining us now from Colorado Parks and Wildlife is uh, Mike Dilavaneri. Mike, good morning. Morning, Terry. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's great to have you on. You know, and uh, this is kind of exciting. Uh, you know, with I just wrote an article Oh, I'd say about three or four weeks ago for my uh, column, I write a weekly column for the Denver Post. And it was about the information access that people have now to aid them in the outdoors. You know, when I was a kid a million years ago, we still had crank phones. Well, it wasn't quite that bad. But, but you know, I mean, now with, uh, you know, we used to, I used to have to seek out outdoor experts and, and bend their ear and try to listen to them. But now there's so much information online but sometimes it's hard to sort through it or find exactly what you want. And Colorado really wants to help the fishermen in the state, don't they? That's right, Terry. So tell us a little bit about this app, a new app, brand new, Parks and Wildlife. It's called, uh, I think it's called the CPW Fishing App when you go to the app store to buy it. That's right. Um, it's it's uh, We just launched it a couple weeks ago. We're really excited about it. And um, Terry, as you know, you know, Colorado Parks and Wildlife's mission, we have, you know, two two big missions in, in terms of con- conservation, you know, conserving our wildlife and our state parks and getting people outside. We're hoping this app can get anglers out, um, find new bodies of water to fish, um, and also be successful so that they have fun and um, get out fishing year to year. Um, really, the, the biggest thing of this app is that you're able to search from over 1,300 fishing location points across Colorado and see um, the species of fish that are found in that water, um, its popularity, um, if it's family-friendly, the weather, um, you name it. There's so many things that you can find in this app to, to help you um, get out with, you know, be it yourself or your family and have a great time fishing. Well, you're absolutely right. Now, when I, I get a lot of surveys done nationally and locally about why people do and don't participate in the outdoors, uh, number one, number one is uh, a little bit of knowledge on how to get started, which you're going to get some of that in this app. And of course, we try to get there's so much knowledge out there. But number two is access. And a lot of times access doesn't, lack of access doesn't mean access isn't available. It's that people don't understand it. I mean, there are so many, everybody knows about Pueblo Reservoir and about Chatfield Reservoir. Well, they may not know, and they might want to go to the app to get more information, but there are ponds and lakes throughout the metro area, throughout the state. There are lakes across the state. There are rivers that run through town, that run through the mountains, and people are never quite sure, is that someplace I can go or should go? This app's really going to help them with that, isn't it? That's right. Um, actually one of the things that that's been surprising for me as an angler is, you know, I have my usual spots, but you can, in the app, you can actually set your current location and it'll show you fishing location points that are close to you. So even at home, I'm now finding places that are just, you know, maybe a mile away from my house. And I'm, and, and I'm thinking, wow, I didn't even know that that place existed. And I didn't know that those fish could be found in that water. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a great resource from beginner anglers to, to expert anglers. Well, and, and there, I worked with helping uh, Parks and Wildlife over a decade, I think 15 years ago. We did a thing called 100 Places to Take Kids Fishing, but it was hard to keep updated because things change. The beauty of an app is that you guys can update it, keep the information up to date, and it isn't something, a website gets harder to update, but an app you can be updating constantly. So let's say I'm in um, Parker, Colorado, and I want to go fishing. I can put in a location I want to drive to. I can search, 
or I can look for places close. Kind of take me through that process. Sure. So uh, you would open up the app and you can go to uh, the fishing atlas portion of the app. And um, there's a number of ways you could do it. You could actually search for Parker, Colorado. Um, but you can also, um, what I think would be easiest, is you can press a button on the, on the bottom part of the screen there that drops a pin wherever you're currently at. And it will show you the, the number one closest location to you to go fishing, as well as showing you points on the map of places that are nearby that you can go fishing. And then when I find those places and I go look at them, what am I going to see? Well, um, you're going to see the, the location's popularity you'll, um, or fishing pressure, so you, you'll know, um, you know how many people actually get out to that spot. Um, you'll see the ease of access for that uh, fishing location. Um, and then one of the coolest things is you'll see the species of fish for that location and, as well as photos that, that, uh, you know, that show what those fish look like. Um, you'll see if it's a family-friendly location, if it's handicap-accessible, um, if there's ice fishing opportunities there. Um, you can also check and see if there's special regulations for that body of water. You can see the current weather. Um, if it's a river or stream, there are stream gauges that, we've, uh, that we're collecting the data on, and you can see that throughout the state. Um, and then another really cool feature is you can see nearby campgrounds. So um, if you're wanting to make a trip of it, you can, you can find places to go camping. Well, we're out of time right now, Mike, but the app sounds fantastic. I think people just need to go to either Android or Apple. It's in the App Store. It's just CPW Fishing. I've got it on my phone. It's easy to load. I've been playing with it. The one last thing, it does allow you to have a journal. And, and when you can do a journal, I, I wrote an article on this several weeks ago about how by keeping track of where I fished and what I used and what I caught, over the years I saw trends and places I could go. You can do that right in the app, right? That's right. Yeah, you can you can track all your fishing experiences, and it also will give you statistics as to uh, how you know how your year's been, how many days out on the water you've been, your average fish size, and um, you know the your the species of fish you've caught the most. It's really and, cool. And if you don't want to tell anybody, you don't have to show them. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, you, you can you can keep it to yourself. All right, Mike. Thank you so much. Hopefully, a lot of people will take advantage of the app. Yeah, let's. Um, we're really looking forward to it, and hope everyone. Have a great time out on the water. Thanks for having me, Terry. You bet. Thanks, Mike. I'm going to go right back to the phones because I know Ray from Adventure Campers right now is saying, it tells you a nearby camping spot. <laughs> <laughs> Did you catch that, Ray? Yeah, I'm on for it. That's a good app. Well, yeah, isn't that? I mean, so now I can pick out my lake in the mountains. I can look what's nearby camping. I can run by Adventure Camper, rent or buy a unit from you and head up there. And I'm set. What, it, yeah. what else do I need? That's nothing. That's it. Gorgeous day like we got today. That's all. Oh, boy. That's all. You know, we're going to get a little weather first part of the week, but next weekend it's going to be 70 again. Well, you know, we get a little weather just in time for first season, so that hopefully it'll uh, push some animals down lower for the guys going out first season, and that's a good way to start. So. Well, we're actually going to cover that here in a few minutes. We've got a fellow on hold, a biologist from the Northwest. We're going to talk about that specifically, and he's patiently waiting, but I will get to him. Um, so we're actually going to cover that, and that's a great point, too. We talk about the fishing app. There's ice fishing coming up. There's still a lot of fishing to do. But with hunting here, what a great time to get a camper from Adventure. Yeah, if uh, if uh, people out there need a camper for a first or second season, we've still got good availability. If they need a camper for first season, though, uh, we do need to have them make a reservation by the end of uh, end of the day on Tuesday. And if you're looking to buy a camper, a uh, great time of year. In addition to our already low prices, we've got a sale going from now through the end of November. 
uh, take $1,000 off our uh, uh, already low prices on Viking or Realite trailers. And if you want a larger trailer, your Solaire or Sonoma, uh, we can take $2,500 off. So it's a great time to get a good deal on a camper if somebody's out there shopping for a new one. Well, one thing I want to tell, too, a lot of hunters, you know, we, all talk, we always talk about trucks, but a lot of them drive an SUV. You can pull a lot of your campers with a midsize SUV. Yeah, very easily. The the Viking and Realites are ultralight campers. They're less than 3,500 pounds. So even if you've got, you know, a, a, a smaller capacity uh uh, V6 SUV, if you've got a 3,500-pound towing capacity, you're good. We can help you out. So. All right. Ray, we got to run. Tell them how they find you. We're near Arapahoe Road and Jordan Road. If you want to come down, you can find us on the web at adventurecamper.com and 303-680-3670. We will talk to you next week, my friend. Thanks, Terry. Enjoy it. You bet. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sun Power Sports, Colorado's largest motorcycle and ATV dealer. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sportsman's Warehouse, America's premier outfitter. We're going to go right to the phones because I hope patiently waiting to give us a big game update has been Brad Petch. Good morning, Brad. Good morning, Terry. Sorry about, the wait, but, sorry about the wait, but I thought that app that you guys come out for fishing really deserves some attention. What a Absolutely. great... Absolutely. That's just going to be... You know, the... And there's uh, the there's knowledge is so helpful in enjoying the outdoors, and that's of course where you're on. You're going to give us a big game update, but before we even get to that, the amount of resources on Parks and Wildlife's website for big game hunting is so phenomenal. I mean, the maps, the harvest statistics. There's just so much on that website. There is a, a lot of information on there uh, for people to plan their hunts, for plan planning their fishing trips, like the apps we talked about. Uh, here earlier this this morning, uh, lots of information, <clears throat> including some information about uh, what we anticipate for this this coming hunting season's forecast. Well, even uh, be- yeah, even before we get to the numbers mm-hmm. and the anticipation, I was watching the weather last night, and they said there's snow moving in Monday, and I was supposed to get good next weekend. You've had some snow, but even before we talk about the numbers and the quality of elk, it looks like it might be shaping up to a more normal season. It sure looks that way. You know, the last two years we've had unseasonably mild conditions clear through the seasons. And last year particularly, we didn't see elk begin to move until late in the month of December. Uh, so we're we're excited to see this weather coming in. We had good snow across the northwest quarter of the state uh, this last week. Um, and much of that's melted out except on the north slopes and, and the shady spots. But that's that's going to get animals thinking about moving around a little bit more. Uh, about being in areas that are more typical for hunters to find them during the hunting seasons. Well, and and hopefully that'll be the case. I, I, I don't harp on this too much, but I also have a mantra about scouting and being ready for hunting. And Nate Zielinski will join us at the top of the hour and probably talk more about where he's seeing the movement around this area right now. Mm-hmm. But But part of the preparation, but also it's called hunting. There's a little work involved. And you and I have talked before. When you do go up to hunt, sometimes just... Getting off your ATV and getting out of your truck and being willing willing to move a little bit can get you into much better terrain to harvest an animal. You know that's sure been my experience, Terry. That those those tools, the ATVs and the vehicles, are great for, tools for getting you to a hunting place. Um, but I think a lot of folks make a mistake being too tied to those during the hunt itself. Uh, getting off those vehicles, getting out where you can see, where you can hear. Um, you know, even a quarter mile off a trail or off a road uh, can get you away from much of the hunting pressure and get you out to where uh, where animals are much more likely to be found. 
let's talk a little bit about the numbers of animals out there, both elk and deer. And elk first, the elk herd actually was an overabundance a few years back, and we were afraid it would be, it could cause problems. So they put a number, the optimal number, and we've actually, in most areas of the state, including the Northwest where you're from, are at the management objective, and there's an optimal number of elk in most locations. Is that right? That's correct. We're, we estimate about 278,000 elk in Colorado right now. That's in most places around the state where we would like them to be for the long term. Uh, that is uh, the largest elk herd in the country. Uh, but it's down, as you mentioned, from about 305,000 when we peaked in 2001. And that's by intent, to minimize conflicts with uh, agricultural producers uh, and to maintain these, uh, these herds in a, in a condition where their habitat can support them. Uh, so across the state, we're we're largely at our long-term objective, and that that means it takes fewer licenses to to hold there than it did to get there. And so license numbers have declined over the last seven or eight years as we've reached objective in many of these units. Now the license numbers are pretty stable over the last couple of years, but the last couple of years. The harvest has been down, a lot of it because of the weather, and that's resulted in, so you're telling me, in some real quality bulls. That's true. We've had lower than anticipated hunting success the last two years, and that's allowed animals that would have been harvested in those years to persist for another year. I anticipate we'll see some really nice bulls taken on, even in open units and public land units here in this coming hunting season. And have you got an indication of... I know it's early and you had snow and it melted and the animals are just coming out of the rut, which I think happened a little more, a little earlier this year because of the weather than it has been happening. Have you gotten any indication about animal movement where the elk are concerned? You know, we, we haven't seen any large-scale movements as yet. And generally it takes persistent deep snow to, to move elk out of the high country altogether. But the weather we've had certainly has put them on notice that falls here, and and I think will make them much more locally available. Um, you know, more more significant local movements as they uh, as they deal with those weather events. Uh, we won't see elk push clay out of the out of the mountains or off the forests um, until we get better snow here later on in the fall. But it's certainly a better uh, prelude to the season than we've had either of the last two years. Let's take a couple of minutes and switch gears now and go look at mule deer. Mule deer, on the other hand, there are some pockets of really good population and some pockets it's been difficult to get up to the optimal numbers. And we hear rumors about what the population is. How do you feel about our current mule deer population and what's it like in your area? In the, in the northwest here and really across the west slope, uh, we have a number of mule deer herds that are not performing like we would like them to. Uh, we have many, many herds that are below our long-term objectives for the number of deer. Uh, statewide, we're down to about, about 419,000 deer. Um, we peaked in 2005 at about 600,000. Um, and so we're, we're substantially below where we would like to be in the long term. The paradoxical part of that, uh, let me back up, we're through the West Slope Mule Deer Strategy, we're trying to take some concerted actions to begin to bring some of those deer herds around, and several are really responding. And it, that's not the, the case everywhere. You know, we have some herds that have, have been in good shape all along, and Middle Park in the Northwest region comes to mind. The paradoxical part with deer management here on, on the West Slope is while deer numbers are not what we would expect or would like them to be, the quality and the number, the proportion of bucks in those populations is quite high. And in the Northwest region, with only a couple of exceptions, we have buck ratios above our long-term objectives in almost every unit. 
which promises really good hunting conditions for uh, buck deer hunters headed into the field this fall. Uh, you're not telling me anything to discourage me here. It sounds like if, you know, obviously the weather has to fall in place, the hunter has to put in the time and understand what it takes and, and, and work hard at it. But it sounds like if, you're, um, if you've done your preparation and you've worked hard, that your opportunities for a nice buck or bull this year could be as good as any of the last few years. That's sure what it looks like to us. We're we're really anticipating this hunting season and hoping for a good harvest and for hunters to to bring home uh, a lot of of quality animals and have really good experiences this fall. Brad, thank you so much for that information. I think there's a lot of guys glued right now, just they're trying to put together those last minute plans. But also, so much of hunting and fishing and outdoors is the anticipation, and when you that excitement, I, I don't know how you know, you never go into a fishing or hunting trip without high expectations and getting a little pumped up and, you know, I always enjoy the experience, but any information that gives you positive brings you that much more adrenaline when you're headed out that first day. So I think that was real uplifting and I want to thank you for joining us today. You bet, Terry. Thank you so much. Thanks for all you do for Colorado Sportsman. All right. Thanks, Brad. That's uh, Brad Petch from Colorado Parks and Wildlife. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sportsman's Warehouse, America's premier outfitter. Now dire straits. You're killing the program with this good music, Kyle. We want to talk outdoors, but I got to listen. You know, sunny day, that guitar lick gets you going. It's even better if you're out on the boat. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, which is brought to you in part by Honey Smoked Salmon. The secret is in the fire. That stuff is so good. If you haven't tried it, pick up a package and just try it once. You won't be disappointed. Hey, we're going to get back to some hunting and more fishing too, but a lot of hunting and shooting yet coming up. But I want to talk a little bit about some things that are happening on the fishing side that I think are going to take off here in the next week or two. If you uh, follow my Facebook page, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, on Facebook, you'll see that I had a column in the Denver Post about um, the bite up at Lake Granby with a lot of details on how you can take advantage of that. And then also some other programs that we showed that are on my uh, my YouTube channel that are links on my Facebook. By the way, Facebook is the very best way to follow this radio show. We're going to have, we put so much on there. Like if we do a tackle talk, we put, we put a link to the podcast up there. Every week that my Denver Post article comes out, I do a column every week. There's a link on my Facebook page. If we have something special coming up on this show, we'll tell you on the Facebook page, like, in uh, the 21st of this month, the director of Colorado Parks and Wildlife is going to spend an hour on the show. We may have you emailing some questions to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors at Gmail that will run by him. I'm confirming that right now. I don't know what his agenda for being on is, what he wants to cover, but we'll get with him on that. But he is definitely going to spend an hour on the show on the 21st. That'll be on our Facebook page. But that and so much more. We just We just posted a... A, one of our videos from our television shows on how to use bottom bouncers to our YouTube channel. It's a really good piece, and it's filmed on Pueblo and a Wyoming lake and a North Texas lake, going through really using bottom bouncers, pulling worm harnesses, and just a phenomenal way to catch walleyes year-round. And it's a great piece, and there's a link to it right on my Facebook page, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. So if you've never liked or followed our page, just go to it and, and scroll down and view just what was put up there in the last couple weeks. We don't post like uh, 
10 things a day. We're not going to overwhelm you. If at most, one or two things a day, and some days nothing. We probably post about five or six times a week, but it's always either something that we were in the field and had immediate information about or something that's going on either on the show coming up or that we just covered on the show to give you extra access to it. So it's a great way to follow us. But what I wanted to talk about was this cooling water. There's a couple bites going on that I want to really cover. The first one is Lake Granby. And I've gotten several emails about people asking me. My article that is posted on the Facebook page talks about I was out with Bernie Keefe with my son and my grandson and my son-in-law, and we caught about 50 lake trout out there and had about 200 bites. And we were in about 60 feet of water because the water was still about 60 degrees. When that water gets down to 55, those fish are going to move in shallow to spawn. Now, you can still catch them from a boat, but this is the opportunity for you shore fishermen. So we're going on about a week and a half ago that I was up there. So that water has cooled significantly with the weather we've had, and it will cool some more with the weather we're going to get in the next few days. Those fish are very close. I say with if they're not already there, they're within a week, week and a half of moving in close to shore. We're casting spoons and jigs with a, a Berkeley a Gulp Alive minnow on them or a Berkeley Power Tube on them. We'll get you, you may not get the 50 or 60 fish you can get out in a boat, but you certainly can get 5, 10, 15, even 20 fish. Once you find them, you move along the shore and find them. You'll find them on the rocky, they spawn on rocky, gravelly areas. So the dikes are all really good. The dam areas, you can't get on the dam itself, but around that. But any points or shorelines with a lot of broken rock and gravel and some access to deep water because they'll stage a little deeper, but they'll move up incredibly shallow. I mean, in just a few feet of water, when they're spawning, so they're very accessible from shore. So that's a bite that's going to be taking off as this water cools, along with the, the entire trout bait across bite across the state. As this water cools, those trout are going to get more active and push closer to shore, and we have the kokanee uh, salmon starting to spawn. They're going to be moving in towards shore, and they're moving into the rivers, so there's going to be snagging and fishing opportunities available there. But the bite I really want to talk about is the fall jigging spoon bite on lakes like Pueblo and Boyd and uh, Chatfield and even Cherry Creek and Horsetooth. There's a phenomenon that happens with these heavily bait fish shad and to some degree smelt lakes, mostly the shad though, that when the water starts to cool in the fall, you know, a cold front likes coming through in the next couple days in the spring would just shut the fish down you'd almost not want to go out for a week because it would just, uh, a, a drop in temperature with that snow coming would just shut down. In the fall, it's totally opposite. What happens is this water that's probably hovering, we'll ask Nate when he comes on. I haven't been on the water in the last couple of weeks to check the temperature, but it's probably hovering in around 60. As that water starts to drop. These lakes have turned over. That water gets cooler. And what's going to happen is it puts extreme stress, especially on the shad and some of the other bait fish. When those bait fish get stressed, they tend to kind of group up as safety in numbers, and the predator fish follow them. And it becomes almost like a trout that's focused on a mayfly or a caddis hatch. You've got so many of these stressed bait fish available in one area that the fish can virtually congregate around them and under them and feed going into fall to fatten up for the winter. And you're going to get a lot of walleyes. It's tremendous time for, and big ones again. You get big walleyes, you tend to get in the spring and then in the fall when this happens. But you're also going to get some crappies if they're in there, some smallmouth bass if they're in there. 
catfish, state record catfish. Charlie Black caught the state record blue, which was 30-some inches long, I think around 25 pounds, at Pueblo while he was doing this for walleyes. Now, I wrote uh, chapters for In Fisherman's Critical Concept books on walleye fishing, and Tom Bruno and I actually did the research for one of those chapters right on Pueblo Reservoir <clears throat> using jigging spoons, and at the time was using a long, slender, heavy spoon called the Flea Fly. There's a number of jigging spoons out there. A lot of guys have gotten to not only jigging spoons, but bait, uh, blade baits, which are fished a little different. You can fish them kind of a combination of not only vertically, but kind of horizontally and vertically. And then there's a lot of tournament fishermen over the last few years who have been using baits like the jigging wrap, which is traditionally an ice fishing bait. They've been using those to catch a lot of walleyes in this spoon bait, fishing them at the same time. So those are three baits. Um, by the way, if you go to... Uh, the Denver Post, and Google um, my name, Wickstrom, and you can go down to an article I wrote about this time. Well, it was a little later than this last year when Charlie caught that catfish, and I go through a better explanation on how to approach this and what to do. But the point is that this cold front that's coming in here, that's going to hit us uh, Monday, we're supposed to get snow, it's supposed to be nice today, get out somewhere, enjoy the outdoors. Tomorrow during the day, pretty nice. Another day, get out, take a kid out. Even if you just go for a hike or go fishing at a local pond, or if you're getting ready for hunting, go do some scouting. But then it's supposed to turn pretty bad. On Monday, we're going to get snow. It's going to drop in the 30s. The great thing is that drop in temperature is going to bring this water temperature down a little more suddenly. Subtly, uh, suddenly. Now, Nate Zielinski likes it sometimes when these temperatures are gradually. So as a guide, he can follow the fish. So if you haven't been out in the water, this is probably going to give you a chance to find those fish concentrated. We'll try to keep you appraised. Best thing, like I said, go to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Facebook and scroll down and look at the things we've posted over the last uh, over the last few weeks. You'll get a lot of information on this. Uh, go to the Denver Post uh, and Google my columns and follow those. But mostly just listen to us right here on the station and we're going to take care of you and we're going to get you out on that bite. But I think as it warms up a little bit next weekend, it's more comfortable for us. It's going to be some great, great fishing. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Honey Smoked Fish Companies, Honey Smoked Salmon. The secret is in the fire.